Western Social Distance Warriors podcast, where we are making connections and engaging with the WWU community in a conversation about wellness and resilience through this unique time in history. Today, we will be talking about community responses to hardship in the form of mutual aid. My name is Brandon Joseph. I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm the Mentor Resiliency Program Coordinator at Western, and my colleague and co-host Liz Stewart is here along with our guests, Terry Kempton and Dr. Letty Romo, who along with Karen Deicher have initiated a food pantry at WWU with weekly distribution of food and support to students. Let's start with some introductions. Liz, you can start and then we'll go over to uh, Letty and Terry. My name is Liz Stewart. I'm the Violence Prevention Outreach Specialist with Prevention and Wellness Services at Western. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I am coming here today from my bedroom as usual. Uh, it is the only place where I can close a door and hope that no children will walk in. I am from California and have been really enjoying these warm days, luxurious sunshine. Our question for today to check in is what's one routine that you've been practicing during this time? One routine that I have been practicing is going outside and sitting on a blanket by myself in the sun, closing my eyes and just taking a lot of breaths. I like to bring multiple drinks with me. So like a cold drink of water and maybe a hot cup of tea or coffee. And every morning I go out on my deck and just sit by myself to sort of gather and ground since each day is a new adventure. And I never know what is going to arise in terms of the emotional, physical, and social well-being of my household. So that's a routine that I rely on is just to take time to myself where I sit alone. <laughs> cool. Thanks for sharing. Uh, I forgot to check in. I'm also, I moved spots. Last week I was in my bedroom and I'm now in my son's playroom where we have transitioned to a somewhat makeshift office. We got a nice little desk and everything. Um, one of the routines I've been doing, I've also been getting outside. I'm not a big hiker, but I've turned this opportunity into um, hiking up behind Lake Padden. There's a nice little trail system up there that's not too challenging for a novice like myself. So I've been taking advantage of that. And it's a good way to get my morning started. I try to get out there early in the morning where there's not a lot of people. Um, and so I've been able to do that and really gets my day off to a good start. Um, so let's go ahead and check in with our guests. Let's go ahead and start with uh, Terry Kempton. Um, go ahead and please just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do at Western where you are physically, and anything else you'd like us to know that uh, will help our conversation. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Terry Kempton. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I'm the farm manager of the Outback Farm on campus. That's the five acres between Fairhaven and Buchanan Towers that serves as a food forest and as production rows for students to grow food for other students. I also am an instructor at Fairhaven and Huxley. I teach food and farming classes. Once upon a time, I was a Huxley student, so I graduated from Western kind of at the dawn of time, but it's really great to have circled back and to be working on campus. Well, gosh, I'm coming to you from Bellingham. I am inside an elaborate closet. It's a, also a, a space where I can close the door and not have a toddler running in all the time. And as far as routine goes, you know, my routines are dictated a lot by my child. And I don't know if you as parents, I think we're all parents on this podcast, but, you know, we're kind of driven by what our kids need and, you know, keeping a good routine for them. But we definitely make time every day to go outside. We don't have a fenced yard, so it's not like I can just let the kids loose um, to run around everywhere. But definitely getting outside every day, you know, rolling in the grass. We're so lucky that this has all happened in the season that it did. I really feel like if it was just at the onset of winter, I think that we would all be really kind of drowning in depression. But the fact that it's this beautiful, glorious spring and that nature has really kind of swelled forward as humans, we've kind of retracted a little bit. It's just been this beautiful season. So getting out to, you know, enjoy the bugs or spot a snake or play in the woods, whatever it is, I think that's a really important routine. Because we're still working on the farm right now, uh, even during the pandemic, we're considered quote unquote essential staff because we work in food and agriculture. I think that has been a really beautiful touchstone for all of the people that are involved with the farm because it brings us outside. It brings us to this beautiful space. Everything is blooming. So I've kind of reinstated a, a ritual that I used to do, which is of just walking the farm once a week. So not like going out with a hoe or with a plan, but like just to observe and just to kind of enjoy that space and interact with it. Cool. Thank you. Um, I hear you on the weather. I think we had a couple of days of rain maybe a week, a week or so ago, and I was like, what's happening? I need this sunshine back. All right. Uh, Dr. Letty Romo, how are you? 
I'm okay. It's Monday and it was a great weekend. So um, that was really nice just spending time, you know, with the kids and the whole night. I'm in the living room right now, mostly because my kids are sleeping and I'm okay with it. You know, one of the ways that I'm trying to really keep a positive mindset and all this is just like, I've always wanted to be a stay at home mom. And this is finally an opportunity for me to get to spend that time with my kids even though it's stressful, don't get me wrong. Um, and yes, I'm working. So you know what I mean? Uh, so it's a little different than how I thought it would be. But I remember telling my parents when I had first graduated from with my undergrad degree, and I was going for my master's and I was finishing up my master's. And I was like, you know, I really want to stay at home with my kids for a bit. And my parents are like, you went to school for how long to go to stay at home? And I was like, okay, I guess not. Um, so now it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of neat to be in this. And that's what I keep telling myself. Of course, my alone time comes um, when I, I've been really intentional with setting some praying time aside where it's just me and my ability to connect with what I need to connect with and kind of help me reflect on the day. And so lately my, my grandparents, so my, both my parents are from Mexico and they came over um, with their, their parents when they were young. They're like nine or ten, so about my kids' age. And one of the things that before my my tata, so my dad's dad passed away, I don't know how it was, but we started on this story and, and he was just telling me about all the stuff that he had done. And one of the things that I didn't realize until he passed away a few years ago and we had that conversation before he passed was that when he came over, he worked in the fields and he followed the lettuce crop. And what I didn't know was that him and Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta would actually connect because they were at that time doing all of their, you know, with the with the strikes that were happening. And so my grandpa was the foreman. And so he would call my grandfather and my grandmother and they would help organize their work group or whatever. And it was like at that moment where everything kind of just made sense in my life where I was like, oh, now I get it. Now I know why this is such a passion for me of being able to speak up and make a difference, you know? And so um, so I think a lot of the work that I do and the way that I, I pray and connect um, with my family up in heaven or what I what I consider um, heaven is like an honoring of my work and, and of their work. And so, yeah, so I just wanted to share that with y'all. I, I just got a my doctorate. That's why it says Dr. Mommy, because that's what the kids called me. So my family still loves to see it. So if we're Zooming there, you know, everyone's like, put your fun hat on. And so I will. <laughs> I'll even dress up in my garb the whole night. I'm the first generation, or I'm the first um, in my family to graduate from college and the first in my family to have a doctorate. So it's kind of cool. It's, it's pretty neat. So this work really means a lot. And I don't think I mentioned my pronouns or she, her, hers. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Your story kind of gave me some chill bonuses. I also think a lot about just the lineage and our ancestors and things that, that drive us to do the work that we do. So I just uh, also got the goosebumps when you shared that story and it just makes me really feel very lucky to get to talk to someone who has that lineage and Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta are absolute heroes of mine and did so much for their community and for the rights of people that they didn't even know or ever have contact with and it's, that's incredible. So thanks for sharing that. Cool. And now let's go ahead and jump over to um, talk about the project. So just to do a quick intro. Um, so can you tell us about your food pantry project, how it started um, and exactly what it is? Uh, Terry, do you want to go ahead and get started with that? Yeah. So part of what the Outback Farm does is address food insecurity on campus. A survey was done a few years ago. It was a peer-to-peer -peer survey. So it was students asking other students about the food insecurity issues that they face. And the survey revealed that 68% of Western students have either skipped or skimped a meal because of finances. So we have a really high incidence of students not being able to meet all of their food needs because of finances, and that's a, a big problem. And since we're a campus farm, then part of our goal is to provide fresh produce, healthy produce, healthy food options for our community to address that need. And because we're engaged with food justice, I encourage everyone to visit the Outback Farm pages, by the way, online. If, you, if anyone just Googles WWU Fairhaven Outback, up will come a series of nine web pages. And one of them is all about food justice in the Outback and the ways that we address that. And it's everything from food pantries to seed sovereignty and saving seeds. And so this is something that we already are thinking about and kind of working around on campus. When the pandemic hit, 
one of our major resources in the community shut down and it was temporary and that's the Bellingham Food Bank. So our food bank meets a huge need in the community. It serves about 20% of Bellingham and they're used to 18,000 visits a month. It's a lot of food going to a lot of people, but of course it's a complicated issue. How do you suddenly distribute all that food in a safe way without exposing visitors to risk of the coronavirus? And so they kind of shut down until they could figure out how to, how to proceed with different operations. And so that's a real challenge because all of a sudden you have students needing food. That's one of the few resources that they can access and it's shut down. When Western's campus largely locked up and closed down, then they didn't have access to our campus food pantries either. There's one in Buchanan Towers, there's a whole food pantry in the Viking Union, and there's a small one in Fairhaven College. All of a sudden the doors were locked and that was not available either. So I got to thinking about Okay, look, if the Bellingham Food Bank is not in operation right now, that means that all of the grocery stores have nowhere to put all of their surplus food. That means a lot of food is in play in the community. Can we tap into that supply chain to bring food to our students? And so with some calls and um, you know, calling on connections, then we were hooked up to the Trader Joe's surplus via the Gleaners Pantry chapter that's in Ferndale. And they very generously said, you know, hey, after our members have a chance to get what they need, you can have all the rest. And so we just did kind of guerrilla style pop-up food pantries right at the beginning of the pandemic. The first one, we had two SUV loads of food. It was way more than we had expected. We shared that information on social media and just said, hey, come and get it. And the food disappeared in about four hours. So we had students that were even lining up on a Sunday morning at seven o'clock in the morning to get in and have access to that food. So it really showed the need and the interest that students had for food pantries. We did an additional one like that. And at that point, we started talking with main campus about ways to improve that system. Because honestly, we need to be cautious about handling perishables. We needed to have a better system that was low or zero contact as opposed to having students enter a building and kind of rifle through a bunch of food items. But I wanna also turn the ball here to Letty because this is where I joined up with other entities on campus. I think it's really easy for large institutions to have the, the silo effect. Is that a familiar term for people? Right, we all can get working in our projects. We feel like we're the only one addressing it. We get really invested in it and we don't usually come up for air and look around and say, who else is addressing this really big issue? And it felt like the time to, to kind of come up for air and do exactly that and look around and say, wait, who is also working on student hunger and addressing food insecurity? And of course, lo and behold, there are all these great minds, all these great offices that are focused on just that. And so from that point forward, we started to collaborate as like a whole campus entity and figure out where should this happen? Where should we host it? Who are our partners on campus? Getting t connected to food and uh, through dining services, for example. And so let's maybe you want to jump in and talk about what we've done together. Yeah, thanks, Terry. This is actually the first time that Terry and I um, actually met in even like not in person because obviously, but like like work together through this. Terry contacted me and was like, hey, what's going on? Because the pantry in the Viking Union falls under Karen and then under my area, right? And so Karen and I had already, uh, Karen has done an amazing job and I'm so bummed that they're not able to be on this call, but I have to give a lot of props to them and the work that they've done in all of this. So Karen and I noticed there was a need. Our doors were closed and now there were students who didn't have access to the food. And really what it was is we had food now sitting in our pantry that weren't being able to get access to. So we pulled together a few people off campus living with Julia Burns, financial aid. We had Dina Murphy. Uh, we got Lori Bortuzzo who works with our students who are former foster youth and or unaccompanied homeless students. And then Student Life was involved. We had Terry was involved. Uh, Residence Life was involved, Christian Garcia, and then um, some partners from Dining Services. And so Stephen Wadsworth. And together we were like, okay, well, what can we do? And, and this was right at the beginning of the way that the pandemic came through. And of course, just like everyone else, like we, nobody knew what we were doing, right? Like we knew that we couldn't gift public funds. So now it became, all right, how do we work with the foundation to figure out a way that we can get donations and be able to make sure that those donations are going to students in form of food security. And then looking at it beyond that. So how do we also 
um, begin the conversations around housing security for our students who um, were going to be or are uh, homeless because of everything that's been going on. So it really was this perfect like timing um, of like this group of people coming together and breaking that silo. And once Terry came on, it was like Terry's been an engine, man. She's a machine. And so I'm so thankful, Terry, for all that you've done because you've, you've really pushed us to think outside of just, you know, we do gift cards and we're able to do dining swipes. Um, but Karen, uh, Terry and myself really worked to figure out how do these pop-ups work in a way that's safe uh, for everyone and that we're able to give resources. And, and of course, uh, dining services has been a huge player in making that happen. That was almost like a surprise of the process was getting connected with dining services and learning like how helpful, supportive, and eager they've been to participate. And so I'm hats off to Steve Wadsworth from Aramark from Dining Services, who basically said, like, if I have to glove up and make these bags myself, I'll do it. And so they've been incredibly supportive with staff time, with leveraging their ability to buy food at cost um, so that we can, you know, make the best of our funds available. It's just been an incredible and almost unexpected partnership. And that's been really great. And devising those creative ways of having a, a walk-by pickup service so that it's basically zero contact. You know, a student walks by, flashes their ID, grabs a bag, and keeps walking. And so that ability to have a very low risk, it's lower risk than having to ride a bus to the grocery store, fend for yourself amongst all of the people that are there, and all the hands that have touched the, the items of food. You know, it's just, um, it's streamlined, it's fast, and we feel like it's really effective. It's also great, Letty, if you want to talk about like how financial aid plays into these different options and the role that pop-ups can play. Yeah, before we get to that, Letty, I just want to jump in and Terry, you kind of touched on something just about how things work. So I want to yeah. make sure everybody understands the process of this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but every Wednesday until June 10th from 12 to 2 p.m., the Viking Commons entrance. And then can you maybe just provide a little extra insight onto like what this actual process would look like for a student who wants to pick up one of these meal kits? Absolutely. And yeah, it's open house style. So there's not like a, a specific time within that window, but a student walks up, shows their ID. There's a bunch of, of us that are working behind the scenes in masks at a very conservative distance. We're usually at least 10 feet away. And then they grab a bag. Oftentimes in a week, there'll be two different food options. Especially if there is a, a meat item, there will be a vegetarian option also. And they pick a bag and, and keep walking. So it's very easy. It's fun. Everyone's there to greet and welcome. We have music playing. And as of last week is the first time that we've started to have fresh produce from the Outback also available to students. So they can come by and choose a head of lettuce or radishes or, or herbs or whatever it is that we have in season to kind of help round out the you know prepackaged bags. Cool. So Thank it's you. easy, it's quick, it's fast, it's fun. You know, um, when we figured out the funding sources for the um, access to the dining halls and for the gift cards to the grocery stores, we realized real quickly like that has to go. There's a form that students can fill out um, requesting the short-term uh, food assistance. And the, the really cool thing about it of having those two options is that like each option is intended for certain um, population of students. Right. Well, if you have dining, if you have access to the dining halls and you're able to come to campus, well, then that might be the best situation for you. Get some prepackaged food and then be able to head on your way for students who live outside of Bellingham or who don't have access to campus or to Bellingham. Now we have our grocery gift cards to be able to send them the grocery gift cards and also like students with specific dietary needs. So it doesn't matter if they're in Renton or if they're in Blaine or wherever they're at, if they're a student and they're a student in need, we can absolutely get them a grocery gift card. Those two options have to go through financial aid. And so financial aid just makes sure that it's not gonna negatively affect their packages. And so we are like, okay, so what about our students who are gonna be negatively impacted by this? How can we help them and how can we make sure that we are still providing a resource of food security and so that's kind of where this pop-up thing we were really really like determined to get this going and up in the air and and i and i understood a lot of like the hesitation maybe before because there's a lot of fear right the the, the exposure a lot of the unknown when it came to this pandemic and all that but i think after our first one that was kind of like our trial one it was very obvious that students were also looking for this type of aid to be able to show their ID, grab a bag and move on, right? Like, and just go on their way. For us to be able to offer these three options has been a really great outcome of our working group and, and what 
we were determined to make sure we were meeting the needs of all our students. Other than so having to work through like the financial aid stuff, can you all speak to any other challenges that maybe came about as, as, a, as a result of uh, wanting to start this project? Well, I think one challenge has been the, the issue of perishables. And that's a problem for a lot of food banks all over the country right now, too. So like the Bellingham Food Bank excels at handling perishables. And that's where the healthiest food comes from. You've got your eggs, your milk, your meat, your vegetables, and your fruits. And all of those can go bad pretty quickly. And they have an incredible ability to, they have huge cold storage. They're able to handle large amounts of perishables. However, for us on campus, we don't have just free-ranging refrigerators that are exactly the right temperature um, so that we can monitor how all of the perishables are doing. Also, things that have a lot of surface texture, like imagine a head of lettuce. All it takes is one person who's infected to breathe around that lettuce, and your chances of adequately washing it off are slim to none. And so there are risk factors with perishables that make that a real challenge right now, which is why like the meal kits are, you know, it's, it's non-perishable items that are a part of that. So I feel like that's kind of a, a sad thing. Um, and hopefully we can make up some of that with produce from the Outback. But yeah, that's, it's fascinating to have to think about all the health and safety things with food handling. And I would um, also add that I think just like everything else, right? Like we, we work in a system that is, is a lot of bureaucracy. When we're being real about that, it's like figuring out how do you address um, not only the issues at hand, but the bureaucracy that is, ta is attached to that. I, we were just reflecting during our last working group meeting about how in the beginning we were like in tears because we were like, how we know that we need to do this. So now we need to figure out the most effective way in helping create a change. So, you know, being told like, no, you just can't take random money because that's gifting of funds. And we're like, okay, well then we'll figure out how to not make it gifting of funds. And we figure it out another avenue. So, and I don't think it's malicious, right? Like, I, I don't think some of these, these decisions were just because there was a lot going on and how do you understand and what's right. And we just figured out a new way to deliver the, the resources that we were giving students. So. I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the way that bureaucracy and the way that our systems for a while continue to uh, put a lot of roadblocks. It's a great um, time to kind of reflect on institutions. And, you know, we have these well-developed systems that have been around for just years and years and years. And all of a sudden we're called to innovate in a wildly new way because the world has changed so quickly and we have to change very quickly to adapt to it. So I think there are going to be those like stops and starts where we'll kind of make some progress and then come up against something and, and really need to look at the heart of what that restriction is and see if we can't find a way that, that works for everyone. It feels like it's a great victory. I'm so grateful that the university has let us try and experiment with different pop-ups because I feel like we finally have found a way that really works. Hopefully the world will continue to evolve and we'll be in a new chapter before too long. But it feels great that we have these new systems that we can develop or modify or improve upon should we need to continue this kind of approach. Awesome. So, so just to reiterate, every Wednesday through June 10th uh, from 12 to 2 p.m., um, right outside the Viking Commons entrance, students uh, just need to show their student ID and there'll be meal kits for them to pick up. Um, and with that, we'll jump to a break to share some of our resources and we'll be right back with some questions from our students. Hey Western, we want you to be safe and well throughout the response to COVID-19 and that includes your sexual health. Did you know that prevention and wellness with the Western Wearers program will send you free condoms if you need them? Head over to our website at pws.ww.edu and click on sexual health resources to fill out a form and get yourself some free condoms. Welcome back, and now we have a few questions from our students um, for each of you, so feel free to jump in as you please. Um, so one question is, uh, what have you been learning through this experience? You know, one of the most important things to me is community, and not just the kind of idea of like how we all come together, but the actual practice of coming together. Um, it requires labor and work and time and energy. So it, it really has been a big part of what I've learned from this is how powerful that network is and how powerful it is to work both with colleagues like Letty and Karen and also with our student employees who are just, they're in it to win it. They're there at the drop of a hat of like, absolutely. You know, all it requires is like, hey, does anyone want to help with food distribution? Yeah, I'm in. 
right? We just have such a response. And that really speaks to me about the care we have for each other. I think that we're seeing that a lot in the world, both like what works and what doesn't. And that our local communities and people taking care of people is a really powerful force. And I, I think it's what's going to see us through. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like um, this experience has helped me um, personally and in, in grow as far as like when you connect passion and, and love and like and that work, it's beautiful to see what can come out of it. And not that we're anywhere near where we could be, right? Like there's always room for more love and how we're showing that um, and the compassion to our students, staff and faculty. But I think more than anything, it was like a realization of like how much there's people who care, that there is this level of like, we got this and we're gonna do this because we know that this is the right thing to do right now. I've also learned like how Fear can also hold us back because fear of not knowing how things are going to run or fear of like the worst of what can come and really facing that up front versus like letting that guide and being able to kind of figure out how to overcome that. And so whether it's little fears, right? Like a little fear, like everybody's going to get COVID and it's like, well, yes, that's a fear, but that shouldn't be why we can't do these things. We're going to figure out how to acknowledge that fear and work around it to be able to make these um, systems uh, work for us. And so that's been really cool. The other thing that I think is really neat is like, obviously my kids, they listen in on all my meetings and um, unless it's highly confidential, then obviously not right. But when, when they heard me a lot of conversations when talking with the working group, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And what are we going to do for students who don't have anywhere to live? And like these students who need access to food, like they're hearing these conversations. And I don't know how many times that resulted in, in a conversation that we had as on a bigger system between my kids and I, when we were on a walk or as we were having dinner and they'd be like, well, why don't you just do this? Or why haven't you thought about this? And I'm like, I needed that perspective, right? Like I just needed something to kind of get me to know that like this is impacting our students, but then also our children who get to watch us be passionate about these issues. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. And just your thoughts of fear and when they combine with systems and bureaucracy. And I think that's an issue. I mean, we could do a whole other podcast about that, right? About higher ed systems and their their fear of change and things like that. And so I really, just listening to you all today is really good and really powerful to hear how you've got this project up off the ground, regardless of those you know, is instances in the system. So Liz, did you have something to add? I am observing and listening to how you all solved these problems. And it just makes me feel really connected to broader social movements that can't be stopped. I kind of um, sometimes think of social justice movements. I think of the analogy of like a tree, right? that spans many generations and um, that, you know, those roots cannot be stopped. You see them in the sidewalks, you see them, you know, come up in these unexpected places and that um, these acts of love that you're practicing and that you're putting into place to help meet people's most basic human needs of being fed, which is just, I think, human right that we all should have access to nourishing food. I'm feeling really inspired by the work that you're doing and by your persistence and by your drive to solve problems in the face of really real challenges. You know, you said these systems are well-developed. They are developed, not always well-developed. They're developed in a history of oppression and of heartache and of serving particular groups of people. And when folks like you are doing the work to get basic needs met on the ground for our students who, who are really the most impacted by this. All I can feel right now is inspired and feel the love that you've shared in that very practical way with our students. Um, I, I see it, I feel it in my heart and I, I feel so grateful for the work that you're doing. Can ahead, I Karen. jump in? I, because I just, I'm very moved by how authentic and emotional people are, even in this conversation, but I think in the world as a whole right now, there's just like a new way of relating and connecting to each other. And so I'm not sure that we often get to, uh, you know, meet someone new and share genuine tears of frustration over, you know, coming up against obstacles, and which we definitely did as a group. There, <laughs> there were some, you know, rather spicy texts going back and forth, as you can imagine. But that also that it is an expression of concern and compassion and care for each other and for our students. And I think, especially in this time of crisis, 
there are a lot of students who just aren't sure where their support is or where their networks are. And so having these efforts of like, we see you, we acknowledge that we're here for you. That is a really powerful thing. Dr. Jennifer Hahn is an amazing faculty member at Fairhaven and her response to the initial food bank, she wrote and said, wow, what a bounty of edible caring. And that stuck with me because I was like, oh, that it, that's what we are trying to do. It's because it's more than just the food in a bag, but it's the acknowledgement of we're all in this together. You deserve to be taken care of. And we're going to try to fill that need. Thank you. And that's a good segue to, you know, when you do good work, people want to get involved and help out. And so is there an opportunity for people to help or are you guys all fully staffed and things like that? Hope is always appreciated, right? Like I, I think um, it's getting, it's, and that's it passed through different ways. And I, I, I think it's also a recognition. I can't go to the pop-ups, but Karen and Terry do and the dining staff do. We have students who can't go, but if they spread the word, if they let people know, if they just help us in getting the word out, because we want to make sure that our students don't feel like they're alone. And so helping is everything from forwarding or, or an email or retweeting or reposting or all those cool things on social media. This sometimes I don't know. Uh, but like, even if it's just passing on that word and making sure that your faculty know and or like sending an email and letting people know what's going on like all that's appreciated obviously donations to the foundation are appreciated whatever that looks like for you I think a lot of times when we think of activism and to be involved we think you have to be at the forefront always and that's not true right like that's very that's a very privileged place to be sometimes and sometimes it's just about how do you talk about these issues how do you spread the word but then also how do you forward that love, right? Like how do you show that support? If you can't give $5, that's okay because you spreading the word to somebody else or you coming by to pick it up is showing the need for, for our work. So that's what I think, Terry. No, I totally agree with you. So at the farm, we're used to having lots of people in lots of different contexts and COVID-19 has really shut a lot of that down. So instead of having twice weekly work parties, you know, we're just this kind of skeleton crew that's working um, really hard to try to keep the farm afloat. So it's hard because my usual response is like, come on out, come join us and you can get your hands dirty and you can get involved in food justice. Since we can't do that right now, it, it definitely is appreciated when people share information about the farm, about campus efforts, but especially like taking that additional step of reaching out to people that you know need support or that may need some assistance in actually picking up food or being connected to the farm to be directed to further resources, that kind of thing, but really taking the initiative to take care of each other and look after each other. But also a little note that like caring for yourself, all of us at this time is a really good way of helping the whole situation. And so that sometimes that means like actually stepping up and um, stepping across that line that stigma may have put down of, you know what, like, yeah, I deserve to eat. I deserve food. Like I'm feeling hungry. Like I'm just going to go get it. You know, we're just there to greet people, wish them well, you know, take care of yourself. Don't be shy. Don't be hungry. You know, kind of making that happen. And so caring for, for the self, caring for others, I think that that is going to make a huge difference. And we love helping spread the word on social media. I know at least on the farm side, we're active on both Facebook and Instagram as our main platforms. And so we always kind of share announcements there. We can answer questions there. And I know that Letty, probably your office and Karen's as well are sharing things on social media. Just boosting that signal and putting a little personal touch on it of like, yeah, you know, I care about you. Check it out. Yeah. You, and you kind of already asked our, answered a little bit our final question, but we've been asking all of our guests this question is sort of a parting of ways. Um, so like what advice would you give to our students who are navigating, you know, this unprecedented time in history? I'm happy to jump in just because it's on the tip of my tongue, but I think communication is super key, especially because a lot of our normal systems of getting in touch have broken down. So we can't just show up on each other's doorsteps and be like, hey, what's up? But so reaching out, you know, any kind of need that a student has, they can probably get support and compassion and, and attention. Sometimes we just need a witness. But if there's a, a concern, I'm falling behind in my classes. I'm having trouble getting traction because this is depressing and weird and surreal. Like reach out to that faculty member. As, a, as an instructor, I can verify like that's our job is to keep people engaged and supported and able to succeed. And so um, communicating that, you know, we just, we, we won't know. And we can't be in a classroom to kind of read body language and facial expression. And so not hesitating to ask. And, you know, we're, we're all here to help. 
I'm sure Letty, you've got some good thoughts too. You know, one of the reasons I got into higher ed was because I almost dropped out my first year of college and um, and it wasn't because I wasn't capable, right? That wasn't it. It was because I didn't think anybody cared. I didn't feel like I mattered. I mean, I mattered on the weekends when, you know, keg stands or whatever, but, <laughs> um, but when it came to school and stuff, I didn't feel connected. I told myself when, when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for the rest of my life is like, the people who got me through that were the, the were my advisors, were my faculty who knew me and would be like, hey, are you okay? And it was my uncle passed away or maybe, you know, some stuff was going on at home and they were able to see that. And, um, and I didn't know how to ask. I didn't know how to say, can you help me, right? Because I felt then that meant that I really didn't belong because nobody else is asking or that's what I thought. So I think like for students know that for some of us on this campus, we are here because of you. We are here to help you. And there's a genuine love and, and passion to make sure that you're succeeding, that you are feeling like you belong, like you matter. And I know it's scary sometimes to just send a random email to be like, I heard you speaking this one time, or you stopped by my class and made a quick announcement and I just wanted to connect with you. That is why I work here, right? Like that's why I work in higher ed is to be able to make those connections. Um, and don't be afraid of what that means. Yeah, the other thing too is like how how we need to be okay with working outside of just our our normal, right? And I think of this working group in particular of how this has been so successful because we're working across. We're working across the division. We're working across even the division lines. And I think that that is um, really powerful. And so for students to not feel like there's only one person that can get you help, but what's your, who's your community that can get you through these, through these moments. Speaking of, uh, before we part, one of the things I, I really, really feel like I, I need to acknowledge again is that working group that was part of it. The work that we did, I mean, we were meeting every day for probably three weeks trying to get these things off the ground. Um, I cannot thank them enough. Um, and that goes all the way up to Melinda giving us the green light um, down to us on the ground figuring out how do we get to make this happen. And so I really want to share that that appreciation for their work and their continued work. Awesome. Yes. Thank you to everybody who's been involved in this project. And especially thank you for both of you, Terry, Latif, for being here today. Um, we really appreciate this conversation. Um, Liz, do you have any, any parting words? Yeah, I just want to appreciate both of you. Um, I hope that we can maintain a connection. I feel so inspired by you, and I want to be a part of, I think, anything you're involved in. <laughs> so it's just been a real pleasure to have you on our show and to meet you and to have a bright spot of something incredible that, that's happening um, largely because of you and, and your work group. So appreciate you. Thank you so much for having us and, and best wishes to all students watching. And it's a scary, surreal time, but we also are imagining and putting into place a potentially better future. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you both. All right. See y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. And we'll take a quick break to uh, update some resources and then we'll be back. Are you struggling with a substance-related concern during this time? You are not alone. Professional staff are available through ADCAS, which is Western's Alcohol and Other Drug Support Service. Professional staff are available remotely during shelter-in-place, and they're ready to talk privately to any Western student that may be having a substance-related concern in their life. ADCAS services honor the importance of confidentiality and will help students come up with a wellness plan to improve their outlook and feel assured that they're cared for and listened to. Call ADCAS at 360-650-6865. What we know about shelter-in-place is also that some of us are unfortunately forced to share spaces with people who are not safe and who don't treat us or others with the care we deserve. It can also increase experiences of isolation, especially if you are a loved one or a survivor of sexual violence or relationship abuse. CASAS is a WW program that is confidential and here to support any student who's been impacted by abuse or assault. Our CASAS advocates believe you, care about you, and want you to know that you're not alone. Reach out for support by calling 360-650-3700 or emailing the coordinator at deidre.evans at www.edu. That's D-E-I-D-R-E dot E-V as in Victor, A-N. 
s as in sam at www.edu information about these services and more can be found on the prevention and wellness website pws.ww.edu Okay, welcome back. I uh, really enjoyed our conversation with Terry Kempton and Dr. Letty Romo um, on their work with the pop-up meal kits that we have happening. Again, those are every Wednesday uh, through June 10th uh, from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, outside the Viking Commons. Um, just need your student ID. Feel free to pick up a, a meal kit, um, and we really appreciate all the work they've done. And so I'll toss it over to Liz to get her initial thoughts on some of our conversations with, with Letty and Terry. I mean, it's almost like a lot to unpack for me right now because I feel so inspired by the work that they've done. Terry mentioned that in this stressful time, we're sort of called to innovate in a wildly new way, is what she said. And I feel like that was also echoed in something Letty said where she was processing some of her conversations online with colleagues with her children. And, you know, that they would say, well, have you thought of this or have you done this? And I'm thinking about the many voices that are that make our work richer and more creative. It kind of reminded me when she said that her kids were were helping her to think of creative ideas or process what was going on, that they had some rich conversations of a study on divergent thinking. There were some researchers that you you may have heard of this before, had young children come up with ways that they could use a paper clip. And they studied at different ages of how these children came up with different, the number of ideas that they came up with, basically. Kindergarten children and then like eight to 10 year olds. And then um, again, at another stage of development. And um, then they measure divergent thinking, which is basically creative thinking. Ideas that are outside of a typical use, right? The kindergarten group had measured, they measured, they call this like a genius level of, of creativity, right? Or of divergent thinking. And that the kindergarten group uh, measured at like 98% of that genius level. And then the eight to 10 year olds, there was a gap and it was closer to, it dropped to like 50%. And it made me kind of think about, you know, sometimes we get so conditioned and settled into the way that we're supposed to do things you know, in a system or in life or in our work or whatever. And this is an incredible opportunity for us to stop and go, hey, maybe the way that I've been thinking about solving this problem is just the complete wrong way to even frame the problem. Yeah. So, so both of them talking about being creative and innovative where they had a very specific focus, right? And this shared goal that united them in this work group. They solved the problem together with different ideas from different folks. And when one thing would come up, they just, they didn't let anything stop them. That's a relatable lesson for any of us. We all have passions. We all have things we want to focus on and that we want to get done in this life. And you just have to be persistent and not let anything stop you and listen to the many ideas and alternative divergent voices that are out there and come together and do it. Yeah. And, and in particular, uh, you know, Letty touched on the system, right, that we operate in. And I was yeah. kind of one of the, when I asked about their challenges, I was hoping one of them touched on some of the bureaucratic challenges that exist when you operate in a setting of higher education. You know, one of my mentors has always said, like, I have a complicated relationship with capitalism. We all have these social justice minded work that we want to do, yet we're recording this podcast on my Apple computer, right? And so uh, how do you exist and do the work that you know needs to be done within an overall bureaucracy that isn't always meant for that work to happen? And the, the, the proof is in the numbers, right? I think Terry said, what, 68% of students have skipped meals because of funding at some point. Like, that's all the evidence you need to know that we probably need, or we probably could use some sort of program like this, right? Yet then there's all, all these other steps that you want to go through. And, you know, Letty said they met every day for three weeks mm -hmm. um, and just how exhausting that might be and the emotional labor that goes into that. I think they, they said they shed some tears in those meetings. And so just hearing yeah. some of those stories are very powerful. And then even going back to, you know, Letty sharing her lineage with her grandfather and like the people that he was working with at some point yeah. in time. And you really just gain an appreciation for how deep rooted some of the work is for people. And so those are the kind of people that we need in higher education to make some of these, these things happen, because I think we all have this unspoken or sometimes spoken understanding that change in higher ed happens at a very slow pace. Part of the reason, in my opinion, is because of these bureaucratic systems that 
even though we know the statistics, we got to go through all these things because it has to be done in the proper way, whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also loved that Letty, her advice for getting involved was do what you can, that not everybody has to be on the front lines all the time and to prove that you care about something. And also that that position requires that you have some level of privilege of time to dedicate to that work. And I loved how her suggestion was to contribute in the way that you can, that we can all spread this message. We can all spread the love in some way, and it can just be a small accessible way for the people that that's the right thing. And for others that have more time and space and you know, motivation and resources to spend more time, that's their way. And then the other piece of contribution that I have never thought about that Terry offered was contributing by receiving having a generous spirit and believing that these are systems that folks are entitled to or, or unpacking or dismantling some of the stories that it's not honorable to receive help or that like that's there's something shameful about that, that you could contribute to this movement by being honest about deserving to receive if that is um, where you are in, in, this, in this really complex system. I loved those strategies for participating. We have a very involved campus of students who want to contribute and be generous and get involved. And I love that about the culture of Western Washington University. And I hadn't thought about that receiving is a radical act as well. Yeah, I, th I think this is something that, you know, in our black and brown men's group, we talk about, right? I've had students come up and, you know, want to want to have a chat and they don't even really know how to ask for help because mm -hmm. they've been conditioned by basically their socializations and masculinity that that's a weakness, right? And so I think that was a really important point to make. And I also just thinking about um, going back to like the ways that people can help. That's also not in everybody's personality to be on the front line, right? Like for me, yeah. like you'll never find me at the top of city hall yeah. with a megaphone. <laughs> yeah, that's not the kind of organizer that I am. I don't even right. know that I am an organizer, right? The people yeah. that get those together are an organizer, but there are people who need to push the movements in other ways. And like they said, whether that be sharing or um, even helping, I think I liked how they said you can go pick up a meal for somebody else if you know that they don't necessarily want to be there or they can't be there. Yeah, really finding other ways to help. I, I really like that message as well. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it really stands on a philosophical foundation of truly valuing the contributions of every single person. And that looks very different for every single person because we're all unique individuals, have different ways of expressing ourselves and different ways of getting involved and of sharing love and spreading generosity. And yeah, I could tell that those folks really, truly walk the talk of honoring the many and beautiful, diverse experiences and gifts and personalities of our whole community. And I also think this is an opportunity to learn about, like we sometimes we're on these larger campuses and we don't understand the resources that are actually at our fingertips. And I didn't know a ton about the Outback Farm before today. It's the yeah. first time I've met Terry. So just even becoming aware of those programs that are already on campus. And once we hopefully do get back to campus, how can we continue to support their movement and the things that they're doing, um, whether that be volunteering or helping at the farm and even just getting to know what the farm means and what it does. Um, I think that's a good opportunity for us as well. Yeah, they talked a lot about collaborating across disciplines and across boundaries. And as they were talking about their different work, there were some wheels spinning for me, like, you know, I should... I should get connected with that or I should like follow up about that in the, in the future. I also enjoyed the way that they framed the idea of silos. I don't remember if it was Letty or Terry who said it, but that sometimes we get so involved in the thing that we're working on and we're so into it and passionate about it and just like it's consuming us. I just liked the way that was framed rather than like, well, nobody pays attention to what other people are doing. It was more, no, we're all just focused on our own thing. And it's easy to miss. It's easy to not stop and take a breath and look around and see what other opportunities and resources are out there. Cool. Well, I think we've probably come towards the end of our time. Um, of wellness. This is where <laughs> I drop the ball uh, as we, as we transition from me, what they, what do they say? Mike one. Uh, I'm being able to host. So I don't have a moment of wellness. I don't know if you have a moment of wellness that so you can. I guess the inspiration that I'm feeling right now from the brilliant minds and hearts that are putting 
you know, ideas into action are my moment of wellness, um, that I encourage our student body to get involved in whatever way feels right for them. And that actually is a healing strategy that we heal through connection. And there's a ton of research about healthy youth development that young people who do contribute and do something that is meaningful to them and that supports their community, that that improves outcomes for folks. It makes them feel you know, more confident. It makes them feel like they have something to offer, right? So it impacts self-esteem. And just to feel like satisfied that you have been able to do something that matters. So I guess my moment of wellness and recommendation is for folks to do what they can do to contribute to all the amazing work that is happening. Yeah. And take care of yourself as you do that, right? Like we know that the work that you, that we do is emotionally exhausting, physically exhausting at times. Um, And so it's important that we take, we take time for ourselves to be able to sit and reflect and understand why we do the work, which then I think re-energizes us. For me, I get caught in these moments when I have conversations, you know, that you get riled up a little bit and it can take some of your energy away. And so you really have to sit back and think about why you do what it is what you do or why you're passionate about that and and why you want to put your energy there. And then also be smart about when you put your energy into some of those spaces because a constant go, 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 go is not always good and you need to find some balance in some of those moments of help so all right well with that being said uh please follow us on instagram at be well wwu our counseling center website counseling.wwu.edu and the student health center studenthealth.wwu.edu we also encourage you to check out the uh, outback farms website at fairhaven.wwu.edu outback dash farm and we can plug a few conversations we have upcoming um i believe next week we have uh, Langley from the LGBTQ Plus Center coming on. And then following that, at some point, we will have a conversation with our sexual health department, Tracy Dalsett Reemstra, and some of the peer sexual health educators. So, really looking forward to some of those conversations. It's been fun again, Liz. So, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for allowing me to uh, be on the mic this time. And um, it was fun. So, I learned a lot. Oh, always a pleasure to hang out with you and to get to be a part of these conversations. It feels like a privilege. So, thanks. All right, until next time, you've been listening to Social Distance Warriors, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.